A Gnome There Was by Henry Kuttner and C.L. Moore Part 1 Tim Crockett should never have sneaked into the mine on Dornsif Mountain. What is winked at in California may have disastrous results in the coal mines of Pennsylvania, especially when gnomes are involved. Not that Tim Crockett knew about the gnomes. He was just investigating conditions among the lower classes, to use his own rather ill-chosen words. He was one of a group of Southern Californians who had decided that labor needed them. They were wrong. They needed labor, at least eight hours of it a day. Crockett, like his colleagues, considered the laborer a combination of a gorilla and the man with the hoe, probably numbering the Calacacs among his ancestors. He spoke fierily of downtrodden minorities, wrote incendiary articles for the group's organ, Earth, and deftly maneuvered himself out of entering his father's law office as a clerk. He had, he said, a mission. Unfortunately, he got little sympathy from either the workers or their oppressors. A psychologist could have analyzed Crockett easily enough. He was a tall, thin, intense-looking young man with rather beady little eyes and a nice taste in neckties. All he needed was a vigorous kick in the pants, but definitely not administered by a gnome. He was junketing through the country on his father's money, investigating labor conditions to the profound annoyance of such laborers as he encountered. It was with this idea in mind that he surreptitiously got into the Ajax coal mine, or at least one shaft of it, after disguising himself as a miner and rubbing his face well with black dust. Going down in the lift, he looked singularly untidy in the midst of a group of well-scrubbed faces. Miners look dirty only after a day's work. Dornsef Mountain is honeycombed, but not with the shafts of the Ajax Company. The gnomes have ways of blocking their tunnels when humans dig too close. The whole place was a complete confusion to Crockett. He let himself drift along with the others till they began to work. A filled car rumbled past on its tracks. Crockett hesitated, then slowly sidled over to a husky specimen who seemed to have the marks of a great sorrow stamped on his face. Look, he said, I want to talk to you. English? asked the other inquiringly. A whiskey? Chin? Vine? Hell? Having thus demonstrated his somewhat incomplete command of English, he bellowed hoarsely with laughter and returned to work, ignoring the baffled Crockett, who turned away to find another victim. But this section of the mine seemed deserted. Another loaded car rumbled past, and Crockett decided to see where it came from. He found out, after banging his head painfully and falling flat at least five times, it came from a hole in the wall. Crockett entered it, and simultaneously heard a hoarse cry from behind him. The unknown requested Crockett to come back. So I can break your slab-sided neck, he promised, adding a stream of sizzling profanity. Come out of there! 
Crockett cast one glance back, saw a gorilla-like shadow lurching after him, and instantly decided that his stratagem had been discovered. The owners of the Ajax mine had sent a strong-arm man to murder him, or at least to beat him to a senseless pulp. Terror lent wings to Crockett's flying feet. He rushed on, frantically searching for a side tunnel in which he might lose himself. The bellowing from behind re-echoed against the walls. Abruptly, Crockett caught a significant sentence clearly. Before that dynamite goes off! It was at that exact moment that the dynamite went off. Crockett, however, did not know it. He discovered quite briefly that he was flying. Then he was halted, with painful suddenness, by the roof. After that he knew nothing at all, till he recovered to find a head regarding him steadfastly. It was not a comforting sort of head, not one at which you would instinctively clutch for companionship. It was, in fact, a singularly odd, if not actually revolting, head. Crockett was too much engrossed with staring at it to realize that he was actually seeing in the dark. How long had he been unconscious? For some obscure reason, Crockett felt that it had been quite a while. The explosion had, what, buried him here, behind a fallen roof of rock? Crockett would have felt little better had he known that he was in a used-up shaft, valueless now, which had been abandoned long since. The miners blasting to open a new shaft had realized that the old one would be collapsed, but that didn't matter. Except to Tim Crockett. He blinked, and when he reopened his eyes, the head had vanished. This was a relief. Crockett immediately decided the unpleasant thing had been a delusion. Indeed, it was difficult to remember what it had even looked like. There was only a vague impression of a turnip-shaped outline, large, luminous eyes, and an incredibly broad slit of a mouth. Crockett sat up, groaning. Where was this curious silvery radiance coming from? It was like daylight on a foggy afternoon, coming from nowhere in particular and throwing no shadows. Radium, thought Crockett, who knew very little of mineralogy. He was in a shaft that stretched ahead into dimness till it made a sharp turn perhaps fifty feet away. Behind him, behind him, the roof had fallen. Instantly Crockett began to experience difficulty in breathing. He flung himself upon the rubbly mound, tossing rocks frantically here and there, gasping and making hoarse, inarticulate noises. He became aware, presently, of his hands. His movements slowed till he remained perfectly motionless in a half-crouching posture, glaring at the large, knobbly, and surprising objects that grew from his wrists. Could he, during his period of unconsciousness, have acquired mittens? Even as the thought came to him, Crockett realized that no mittens ever knitted resembled in the slightest degree what he had a right to believe to be his hands. They twitched slightly. Possibly they were caked with mud. No, it wasn't that. His hands had altered. They were huge, gnarled brown objects like knotted oak roots. Sparse black hairs sprouted on their backs. The nails were definitely in need of a manicure, preferably with a chisel. 
Crockett looked down at himself. He made soft, cheeping noises indicative of disbelief. He had squat, bow legs, thick and strong, and no more than two feet long, less, if anything. Uncertain with disbelief, Crockett explored his body. It had changed. Certainly not for the better. He was slightly more than four feet high and about three feet wide, with a barrel chest, enormous splay feet, stubby thick legs, and no neck whatsoever. He was wearing red sandals, blue shorts, and a red tunic which left his lean but sinewy arms bare. His head, turnip-shaped. The mouth, yipe! Crockett had inadvertently put his fist clear into it. He withdrew the offending hand instantly, stared around in a dazed fashion, and collapsed on the ground. It couldn't be happening. It was quite impossible. Hallucinations. He was dying of asphyxiation, and delusions were preceding his death.